Good morning. My name is Steve Coleman, and I'm one of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. We'll be taking a look at the book of James today, actually our last message in that series. But before we begin, let me ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you think of your prayer life? One being in shambles, and ten, completely satisfied, as good as it gets. Okay, now let me see the hands of the tens out there. Nines? Eight and a halfs? Okay. There's always a little feeling of guilt. There you go. Even with an eight and a half, there's always a little feeling of guilt that creeps in when we talk about prayer, isn't there? I know I could be doing better. I could be doing more. James talks a lot about prayer in the passage that we have today. Uh, so he talks a lot about prayer, and I think rather than being guilty or intimidated, you're going to be encouraged about what he has to say. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of James, chapter 5. Uh, as we conclude this series on James, uh, and as James wraps up his short book, we're going to find that he returns, or comes full circle, back to the ele- essential truths that he started with in chapter 1. But he sets them in a different context. In chapter 1, as we'll see, he's talking to each one of us as individuals, and he talks about how God is working in our lives, and what we need to do in light of that. Uh, Here, in chapter 5, he changes his context. Uh, he um, He sets it in the context of the entire church family instead of an individual. So here's James linking up again, like he does, but, uh, but doing it from the individual to the church family. He talks about our understanding our experience in this local church context, relying on effective prayer and helping people find their way back to God. These are the things that dominate his thoughts as they dominated the first chapter. Let's read through the text. We'll get a flavor for that. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, having anointed them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The fervent, effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for the truths that are in it. Uh, We thank you that uh, your word is living and powerful. Uh, You use the metaphor of a sword for it that has two edges that can can divide right down to to the thoughts and intents of our heart. 
And we ask that you help us understand, James, um, and uh, for each one of us, uh, speak to us about the things in our lives that you want to see changed, the things in our lives that, um, that we can give you praise about, and the things, the calling that you have for us. Help us to be quick to listen, quick to turn to you, and receive the good things you have from us. Amen. Well, as usual, James, he writes in really practical terms. I'd love to say that that he would write and say, well, now I'm going to talk about a church context, and you've got different people like these. But he just plunges right in with the practical, and you've got, he has a subtle way of weaving his truths and principles together, so that it really takes some work to dig it out. I don't know if you've noticed that in the last number of messages. And I certainly want to uh, take a moment and single out uh, Bill and Julie and Scott for doing earlier messages in James. And uh, they uncovered some of the real depth of James' teaching and brought this letter to life for me in a way that it hasn't been before. And they did that by identifying some of these, these trends that James has, some of the ways that he's linked up truths from one chapter to the next. Chapter 5 is no different. So let's dig into it. James has just finished talking about being patient, enduring, and standing firm to his readers. And we, ne- we get now into verse 13, and James is asking three questions. Is anyone among you in trouble? Is anyone happy? Is any among you sick? It'd be great if that was a multiple choice selection for us. I choose B. What is James doing? Well, let me set the stage for this last section of the book. We're going to see that James steps back and widens his perspective uh, in, in what he's saying. He presents a church-wide view of his audience. The central role of prayer in, in that context and the need to point people to Christ. So let me suggest that in these first two verses, he's noting several different situations and circumstances that naturally tend to occur, occur within a church family. So the first one, is anyone among you in trouble? You know, the same word, this is the same word as the word hardship used by Paul when he, uh, when he exhorts Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It can refer to a range of troubles and distresses that can come in any area of life. Emotional, spiritual, physical, financial, mental, relational, any category. All kinds of problems. Is that you today? Are you suffering from troubles? It's an experience that happens a lot for us. And most of us have been there. But it's such a hard, difficult time. It can be a dark season, uh, an excruciation as we go through each day. You cannot ever imagine being lighthearted or full of joy again. Most of us have been there at some point. Not everyone is suffering in the same way or at the same time. And I know we have folks that are facing hardship and hardness right now. So what do you do when you're struggling? Well, we can respond in a lot of ways. Uh, sort of the negative ones. We can start uh, doubting God, stop talking to Him. We can fall into sort of a helplessness and hopelessness 
we can try to take charge of the problem, just jump in to try to fix it ourselves, even though in the back of our minds we know we're not the, the solution for fixing it. We can, uh, we can just bear down and muscle through it somehow. Well, you know, James says one thing, and what does he say? Pray. Who's the second kind of person? Is anyone cheerful? Anybody cheerful here today? Okay, this is for you and for the rest of us. Uh, you know, not every day is full of trouble. I, I got to wake up this morning next to my best friend. I took our dog for a walk. She's dumb as a post, but in kind of a nice way, intriguing way. But we left at 7 o'clock this morning. It was 29 degrees. But I was bundled up, warm and tight. It was quiet and still as we walked. And it sort of was refreshing. Then I got to sit around with a bunch of people at 10 o'clock and had a, a great conversation with them about Ephesians 4. You know, this, the day's really been good so far. I have no complaints. And we've just all come through the Thanksgiving holiday. It tends to have us thinking in terms of gratitude and gratefulness. James says, if you're cheerful, sing praises. Singing to God is tapping into expressions of gratitude. Singing praises is talking to God. Bach said, music is an agreeable harmony for the honor of God and the permissible delights of the soul. So music has these wonderful truths of gratitude we're speaking to God. It also comes in a package that is good for the soul. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, music will help dissolve your perplexities and purify your character and sensibilities, and in time of care and sorrow, will keep a fountain of joy alive in you. Paul instructed the church at Colossae. He talked about letting the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you remember this verse? As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Do you ever find the songs that we sing up here at worship time uh, going through your mind during the week? Uh, I do. And I am ever so grateful that our worship leaders choose them by design. Choose which songs uh, they, they choose to sing and which ones they choose to sing each week. They've got some real theology in them. They've got some things that are worth thinking about. So for the cheerful, what a great thing to do. Uh, for those that are struggling, you know, singing praises, we may think that would be kind of fake and religious to do that. And nobody wants anybody to be put on a, a mask when they get here. This is a genuine and authentic type of church family. We want it that way. We like it that way. But sometimes when you're not in a good place, try singing some of the songs to yourself and see what they do. You know, James' third case is, is any one of you sick? And he lingers here uh, a little bit and, and talks about... Um, First, he answers the question, what are the sick supposed to do? The answer, involve Jesus. He tells the sick to call the elders. Uh, 
one of the privileges of the elders of the church is to pray for people. We do that here at New Hope Chapel when asked. We've also tried to cultivate a culture where we pray for each other. And that works well. That's also, I think, within James's um, uh, ideas here. We want to be praying with and for other people. So we have three different people, three different situations. James, I think, the subtle message behind this, these very practical, if you're this, do this, if you're that, do that, is that he's telling us we need to recognize the body isn't in the same place at the same time. You're going to have at least these three different uh, folks with these different uh, things happening in their lives. Uh, there are members in the church family whose hearts are broken. The same Sunday, there are those who are in a place where they feel blessed by God. There are others who are facing serious medical issues and some who are struggling with hardship. And I told you that James has this way not only of, of embedding deep truth in these very practical statements, but in linking things up. And you know, this all connects with chapter 1. James addresses these problems and attitudes for each of us individually in chapter 1. So coming full circle, he's telling us as a group to notice all these people around us, see how the Lord's working in their lives. He tells us in chapter 1, we should consider pure joy when we face trials of many different kinds. If we lack wisdom, we should go to God who gives generously, and he's going to give you that wisdom. And that believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position in Christ. And the one who perseveres, he, and she, he or she will receive the crown of life. We have those. We have members of the church families who, uh, who are in each of these categories. And individually, the words of James 1 uh, uh, address those concerns. I think in James 5, he's bringing up the same things, but in his subtle way, talking about the fact that we need to care for the people around us. We need to be very keen to notice what's happening in our body. We need to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We're one body. It's interesting to notice the unifying factor, though, for all our differences, James is offering one solution. Pray. Prayer. Now, he doesn't leave us alone about prayer. Now that he's established that, uh, he's going to go on here in verses 15 and 16. And, and in fact, every single verse, James 5.13 through James 5.18, every single verse mentions prayer. You think it's important for him? Let's take a look at James 5, 15, and 16. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Oh, there's so much to talk about um, because James throws these things out uh, and I'm going to do my best to cover them. Let's start with the idea of the prayer offered in faith. Okay, well, what kind of faith do I need for this? What is a prayer of faith? Well, faith is belief in God. The Greek word literally means belief. 
So I'm going to suggest to you there's no certain amount of belief. It's simply believing. And there are several examples that come to my mind. One is, remember when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter asked and Christ called him to come out and join him. But Peter, he got his attention pulled off and he started to sink. Peter said, Lord, save me. The Bible says immediately Jesus took hold of him. Uh, He asked that in faith. He believed. Didn't have a big formula. Didn't, didn't, uh, there was nothing special he had to do except utter that three-word prayer. There was the woman who was suffering with a 12-year illness. And Jesus was heading off toward Jairus' house. And she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. It says she did that. And again, the Bible says immediately she was healed. He just, she just believed. Later on, blind, the blind man Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus as he's going by. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. The Bible again uses the word. Immediately he regained his sight. In all three cases, God used these healings specifically and spectacularly for His glory. But they were simple prayers. We have the phrase in here, the Lord will raise Him up. Now that, that, I, I, those, kind, those kind of verses really make me think. Why? Don't we see every Christian living up to or beyond 120 years of age? We don't. People die. People die young. Well, you know, there's two errors that I think we fall into or that Christians in general fall into when it comes to healing. This is an oversimplification, but it really boils down into, one, God has to heal everybody if we ask Him to. Number two... God, he can't really heal anybody. It's not what he's about these days. And I think both of them are errors. The truth is God decides when he heals and who he heals. Well, is there any way we can figure out how he makes that decision? I haven't found it. But you know what I do find as I look in Scripture? You know, uh, first of all, the life of Christ. When he was on earth, people came to him Uh, And relatives brought them in the hopes he might heal them. There's no suggestion in Scripture that everyone in the land of Israel that was sick during those days was healed by Jesus. In fact, it's pretty clear they all weren't. Jesus' goal in coming to earth wasn't to heal every sick person. God heals some people in this life. And for all believers, God heals all his people at the end of this life. So the question is not, will God heal me? Maybe the question is, when will God heal me? Will I be healed today so that my life here on this planet is longer and improved in some way? Or will my life come to an end and I will experience resurrection from the dead just like Jesus and I will receive full eternal healing in his presence forever? 
Not one believer is going to be left out of the transformation of our bodies for all eternity in God's kingdom. Because, of course, there's no hospitals in heaven, no antibiotics, no paramedics, no ace bandages. Our great hope is the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. But on earth here, we all live under the same sentence of death in our bodies. Life here has a limited run, and we are subject to all kinds of problems. And God chooses to heal us. Does it by making surgeries go well? Does it by making medicine work the way it should? And sometimes he does it in ways that we can't explain with the rational mind. Sometimes he heals, sometimes he doesn't. We don't know exactly what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but he had a problem so significant. He went to the Lord three times in serious prayer. Just get rid of this thing. I think his rationale to the Lord was, look, I can be so much better at ministry if this thing's not slowing me down, not causing me problems. And what was the Lord's answer to him? My grace is sufficient for you. The answer is, you get to keep that thing, and I'm just going to give you the grace to deal with it, but I want you just like that, whatever the problem was, in his way. So what happens is that occasionally, and always within God's plan and purpose, the curtain is pulled back a little, and the kingdom of God bursts into our physical reality here. And there's a healing or other miracle that happens, and it happens to remind you and I and all God's people that the kingdom is coming and that ultimately everyone will be healed and be together forever. I think to misunderstand this principle is to misunderstand the Bible. I think it makes it very difficult for us to translate, um, interpret, that is, uh, some parts of the Bible. I think if we get this principle, I think we understand better what God's about. Then there's the sentence, uh, confess your sins so you may be healed. So here's the question, when do we confess our sins? We don't have that as part of our service here on Sunday mornings. We have to keep in mind, this is in the context of the prayer for the one who is sick. That's what James is talking about here. Uh, You know, first century people thought that illness, tragedy, and even financial ruin were inevitably caused by sin in a person's life. The Bible's clear that many illnesses and afflictions don't have anything to do with sins. It also presents some examples of sins that result in illness or death. So you have a mixed bag here. Uh, If you remember, in John, the blind man, and the Pharisees asked, who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents? And Jesus said, neither. Paul said to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. That didn't get healed. May not have needed a great deal of grace. What it needed was a little wine now and again. But in contrast, in 1 Corinthians, writing to this church that had so many troubles, Paul was writing in chapter 11 about a sinful, particular sinful attitude, and he said, For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. There's no biblical command to publicly confess all of our known sins. Confession to God is necessary. We've got to keep our lives straight with God. 
as regards any sin that we're aware of, just like John 1.9 says we're to do. But only here is the command to make confession to one another. And this command is lying fully in the context here of prayer for the sick by elders and fellow Christians. It's as if James is saying, make sure there's not sin in the way. Either in case that sin is contributing to this illness, or you, you really want this prayer answered. You need to get turned the right direction, same direction as God when you pray. God's goal is for us to intervene redemptively on each other's behalves. Well, let's look at the next couple of verses. James 15, 16 through 18. The fervent, effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Let's look at that phrase, the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous person. What does James mean by this? How do I pray like that? Well, the fervent and effective, those two words are representing one Greek word that means essentially working or work. But it's a specific type of work that has some real animation to it, some energy, and it accomplishes its purpose. It has a focus. Pray, the word prayer there, so we have this sort of energetic or, or effective working uh, prayer. It's not the common word for prayer that's used most commonly. It's the words for specifically supplication. And supplication is, as it's used, uh, making a request. Not just making a request, but, but coming with some humility to do that. Think of the publican in the temple compared to the Pharisee's prayer. Publican was, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's supplication. So that's what James is saying. So, you know, energy into this kind of humble praying of a righteous person is going to accomplish much. There's a lot of, a lot of debate among scholars about exactly what righteousness has to do in here. Uh, we don't have time to spend sort of sorting that out. Certainly we're all righteous, have Christ's righteousness. Some scholars take that view that it's really, as long as we're acknowledging that and understanding that, that's why James repeats it here. And others say that, yes, we have positional righteousness, but there's such a thing as sort of, uh, sort of being, wanting to have a good thing happen here, a godly thing, something that God might be wanting rather than being a person who's a believer but just winging off some other direction. Either way, it, it still means that this prayer that's going to accomplish much, there's not a ton of criteria. There's not some complicated formula. You don't have to say it just so. Uh, you don't have to, uh, to use certain language. What you have to do is come and ask, humbly, seriously, and, uh, and be a person that is earnest about the Lord. It explodes that myth of a formula or complicated approach. 
Well, he brings up Elijah. And you know Elijah, he stands as one of those heroes in the Old Testament. Remember, he's the guy at the end of the Passover that they're all waiting for to come. So, you know, he did a lot of, lot of miracles. Um, and we'll talk about him in a minute. Uh, but, you know, just like the Jews, you know, place David and, and uh, Moses and Abraham and Elijah on a pedestal, you know, we, we can do that too. We know a little of what that's like. We watch these athletes in professional sports and uh, we see them not, not only playing well and doing amazing things, but then they've got, you know, a lot of jewelry on. We hear about their exploits. We hear about their contracts they're signing for hundreds of millions of dollars. I, I one time tried to figure out how many millions of dollars could I get in my bank account that I could spend all of it in a lifetime. And it was short of 100 million. I don't remember what the number I came up with eventually. But it was short of 100 million. But, you know, we put those heroes on a pedestal, but, you know, there's some realities too. 78% of NFL players go bankrupt within five years. About the same percentage get divorced sometime in their lifetimes. They don't have great lives, even though they had it all at some point. Well, James says, look, Elijah, he's a human being just like you. Yes, he's a hero, but he's a hero, you know, he puts his pants on one leg at a time. He's just like you. He had some issues too. And if we think about that great iconic uh, miracle that happened, remember up on Mount Carmel, and he had the 450 priests of Baal, and Elijah had said, look, Let's each take turns, ask God to call fire down on our sacrifice, and let the real God show himself. And so they spent the whole day uh, entreating Baal to come burn down, burn this sacrifice. Elijah says, okay, my turn. At the end of the day, he gets, and I can't remember the volume, but just jar after jar after jar of water that they pour onto the sacrifice and the wood under it and all over the altar and it spills off the altar and they dug a trench and it filled this trench around the altar. It was saturated and God, Elijah prays and fire comes down, it says, and it just consumed everything and licked up all the water, says the Bible. Uh, and so you have this great moment. And within a very short time, after this tremendous high. Elijah is scared because Jezebel it got really angry at him for that, Queen Jezebel. And he ends up taking off and running and then telling the Lord, he says, look, I'm the only guy. This, this whole thing is, feels hopeless. Uh, so this was a guy that was affected by emotion and by despair and discouragement, sometimes right on the heels of the greatest triumph. Uh, and so, uh, but James is insisting that Elijah shares a lot with you and me. And why? I think James is trying to make sure we're very clear on the fact that the myth that you have to be some really good Christian to, to be effective in prayer or to be even effective in life uh, isn't, isn't so. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. 
It depends on us just being willing and interested in uh, God and His work in our lives. It's all God's power, as we know. Uh, so James wanted to make sure we would not think it takes a hero to pray and get an answer from God. It says, uh, he prayed earnestly. I, I have to mention this, I can't go by it. Remember in Genesis, uh, when uh, if Adam and Eve sinned and didn't follow God's, that they were going to die. And there's a Hebrew idiom that was used there. And it says, and dying you will die. Sort of a funny way of saying that. And, and the Hebrew idiom is, when you, when you say it that way, using the same word, dying you will die, it's that, oh, you're really going to die. This is, you know, it's like, yeah, you may, you'll die. It's like, no, no, you're going to die. That's it, that'll be it. Well, the same... Here in the Greek, James, this Hebrew mindset, uses the same idiom. So what he really wrote was, Elijah, it says, he, and praying, he prayed. So he really prayed. There was some real earnestness about this. He, he, he really prayed. And, and so... Uh, he had, he had told King Ahab, look, I'm praying and the, uh, the water's going to be shut off three and a half years. And I, I wonder, why did James use this uh, particular miracle? Uh, because if you read the account, it's only a couple of verses for each of him shutting off the rain and him starting the rain. It never says in 1 Kings that he prayed either time. James is assuring us he did, and that he praying he prayed. And it's very consistent with the Scripture that he did. It's just not mentioned in those two brief verses. Instead, you've got this whole, almost whole chapter of this confrontation with the uh, uh, priests of Baal. Why didn't James use that? He also, during this time, he was staying with a widow, and her son died. And he raises the widow from the dead. You know, there's only four people that, that God used to raise somebody from the dead in Scripture. Elijah was one, Elisha had one, Peter, and Paul. There are about three others in Scripture, four others, uh, where people came back from the dead, but it was 100% God without any human involvement on, on, on that side. But the point is, why didn't James use that as an example? You know why I think? Because as spectacular as those were, the shutting off of the rain and having it start again, what that was about was telling Israel, you are away from God. You're tolerating Ahab and Jezebel's uh, worship of, of Baal. And when he turned the rains back on, it was because Israel had turned. Israel had changed. So he uses that. You're probably ahead of me already. He uses that because what he's trying to say here is you need to be concerned about the church family. People are in different places. People are having problems. People need prayer because that's the solution for all those things. And look at Elijah who prayed and Israel turned back from its sin 
And what he says in the next two verses, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. So this section, which has three different sort of things mentioned in it, James, I'm convinced it's genius, James and his genius has sort of woven this idea here that, that uh, without stating it outright, but that this is about the same issues God's working on in us individually in chapter 1 and in the other chapters, but here in 5, to close the epistle, he says, and in church families, everybody, this stuff's going on with everybody. And what we need to do is not say, brother, James 3, use of the tongue, it's like it's set on fire from hell. No, we're not supposed to be banging people over the head with the verses of James. He's saying, look, this stuff is to wake you up. What you need to do with a church family is find the people that are going through their different things. Love them. Pray for them. Pray God to do miracles, to do, to, to do His work in their lives. And just like Elijah prayed effectively and Israel came back, if there's somebody in sin, gently bring them back, knowing that if you do that, and, and bathe that in prayer, what you're really doing is saving that person from death and covering a multitude of sins. So very much a pastoral heart coming out of James here at the end. He's pretty, pretty hard and blunt with a lot of his. But in this one, again, very subtly, he's saying, okay, and you apply the hard stuff to you, and then gently pray and bring these other people, help them along in their journey, and turn them around when that's needed. So that, I think that's the message here in the last part of James. I think it, it pulls it together nicely and gives us a real challenge as a church family because that's a very, very challenging thing for us. So uh, let's pray that uh, with God's guidance, we can be up to that task and that, um, that we can be an encouragement to each other. Uh, Let's stand, and I'll pray, and we'll be dismissed. Dear Lord, we thank you for the work that you are doing, that you want to do, that you are continuing to do in our lives, and will do until uh, the time that you bring us home to be with you. And we look forward to that great time, that transformation, that wonderful time. In the meantime, Lord, we pray that you would help us to not shrink from the hard truths that you've presented in James' got, uh, letter, and particularly here at the end of the letter, understand that while, while we, we confront the hard truths in our lives, that we need to be very sensitive and very uh, loving in, in bringing other people along in, that are in the church body. Lord, we're one body uh, in this location, and uh, we do want to show you off to each other and to the world, and we know that we do that best by showing this love and caring for each other. Now dismiss us with your blessing, your name, amen.